I always consider my voice to be nasal and pinched on a phone or answering machine. I, I, I thought I sounded like a grungy teenager. <laughs> I figured that'd be a great way to start this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you want to introduce the show, since it's your second year. All right. Is it going to start with this, with them wondering what... Uh, no, I can cut every, all that. If we just No, it could be interesting. And then you know, just... <laughs> have this podcast come to be, yeah. yeah but no, we'll yeah. just we'll silence and then you can just go. I, I think this is kind of interesting dialogue you got before the show. It might be kind of interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have no idea. I guess this people is... Gonna, what is this again? People are going to turn on, though, and they're going to hear, like... Us randomly babbling in the this, background. This is what they're going to hear. They're going to... My voice sounds kind of. I don't know, my voice is not kind of nailed. Like they, you won't hear anything in the back. Am I on the right podcast? What's going on? So <laughs> you need to. Uh, you should probably formally introduce. Okay. Yes. Well, what is it called again? Nebcast. Nebcast. Yeah, pretend you're a ringmaster. <laughs> well, I could just pretend that me. It's Nebcast, short for Nebless. Being a ringmaster. Yeah. Uh, and you can use voices if you want. That's cool. So what is it? Welcome to Nebcast. You can say fuck Nebcast <laughs> and fuck you for listening. Right. Well, welcome to Nebcast. This is the second interview I have with Brad Haig. My name is Douglas Stoker, and I've been welcomed to introduce the show for the day. I feel like a complete idiot doing this. <laughs> it just sounds so exciting. <laughs> you, you, you've kind of fallen into the mode of it's a uh, is the late night Nebcast with your host Doug Stoker and a. Uh, We'll be listening to some light sounds for the evening. We got a little jazz. We got a lot of little classical, some new age, and uh, we're just gonna kick it back and um, sip some tea and uh, just enjoy being alive. <laughs> you have a very sexy voice. I hope you know that. <laughs> uh, I hope that's not a come on. Uh, <laughs> sorry to disappoint. Uh, but no, seriously. Um, yeah, are, are you are you excited to be back on the show? Technically, not really any time has passed since the last one. Yeah, but they don't know that. What, like half an hour or something? Yeah. <laughs> in which we had a quite a impressive discussion. A on... Series of discussions. Yes. Actually, with a variety of subjects. Which Nebcast has a tendency tends yeah. tendency to do is jump to different avenues of thought. But the most interesting, which we just finished up before we started this, was um, you told me that you believe. Well, no, you don't believe. You know, you can see merit in anyone. Uh, long story leading up to that. It's mostly I. It's a conscious choice of mine. Just when I got out of the army, I was, as I said before, a little talk louder. The people in the back of the room need to hear you. Oh, great! Reach the back of the audience. Remember in theater, Google was like, talk to the back of this, the stage. Yeah, or not the stage, but practice the... my singing voice is what you're saying here. Yeah, it's a little hard to do because we're kind of hunched over now, so your diaphragm is yeah, in the right spot. Yeah, well, now I'm going to manipulate the microphone. Okay. That should be a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Well, it's just I don't know where I left off. I interesting story leading up to the merit in the army. I I had a lot of issues when I got out. I was really angry a lot. And... Had a long time getting myself squared away in the head, getting myself worked out a bit. A lot of that came down to a realization that it doesn't matter what you think or what you believe or why. There's always an alternate opinion. There's always another way of looking at everything. And it doesn't matter how passionately you believe about what you do. Another person disagreeing with you doesn't make your argument any less valid and your passion doesn't make their argument any less valid. I was really angry because I felt betrayed and I felt that my duties and my beliefs were which I felt should be shared weren't. And a lot of me getting over that was simply accepting the fact that they didn't know how I was thinking, and they didn't know how I felt, and a lot of what chafed when I was there, and a lot of how I feel, and what I did, and what I do, and what I've become, involves a great deal of how I react to other people, and how a lot how they react to me. First, uh, when I first started coming to this, one of the things I did, I got two tattoos, one on each arm. They're polar opposites of each other. Each one representing different 
aspects of some primal thing. One you could probably describe almost as an angel, and the other almost as a demon. It's just a... It, they're metaphors. And they could represent nearly anything. You look at any situation, you look at any person, in any situation, no matter how good or bad they are, no matter what they've done with their life, at some level, you can find something about them that has merit. Most of the evil people in the world didn't think they were evil at any time. Adolf Hitler thought he was doing great things for the German people. Yeah, he's a prick. <laughs> and he did evil things to a lot of people, a lot of good people. But in his mind, he was right, you know. Not just himself. that. Before Adolf Hitler took charge of Germany, Germany was in squalor. It was the poorest country in the world. German money was worth more to burn for heat than it was to spend. But by the time World War II had started, it was the most powerful country in the world, and he did that within the space of a decade. No matter how much of a jerk he was, you have to admire the amount of skill and ability it took to do something like that. Everybody has something, some kind of merit. Everybody has something good about them. What you do with it will change how people remember you. But you have to admit, everybody has something to them. Everybody has something to prove, and everybody has something to contribute. And getting back to your tattoos, uh, um, you want to tell because they can't see. Yeah. So on, go ahead and just I guess start on with my, your shoulders. Yeah. On my shoulders. Um, my first tattoo is on my left shoulder, and it's based off of a poem by Stephen Crane about a beast in the wilderness. This goes, uh, in, the w in the desert I came across a beast, a creature naked and beastal, who while squatting on the ground held his heart in his hands and ate of it. Is a good friend, I asked him. It's bitter. Bitter, he said. But I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. Originally, the idea behind it was that while I may not like a lot of the things about myself, while a lot of the things about me may not be appropriate or right or even normal, it's still who I am. It's still what makes me, me. And if I can't live with myself, then I don't have any hope. I don't have a choice. I don't have a chance. I have to be able to live with myself before anybody else can live with me. And that was my statement. It was my reminder that no matter what about me may be, no matter whether I like it or not, I have to accept these things about me in order to go on with my life and for order to other people to accept it. I can't ask anybody to forgive me until I can forgive myself. And I can't ask anybody to accept me until I can accept myself. And that was a reminder to myself. Whenever I had trouble with it, I would just think of that. It would be a constant reminder, a visual cue, to remind myself of that, to keep my head onto it, so that I can go on with myself. After a while, I got another tattoo, which is almost a polar opposite. It's a piece of artwork based off of another artist. And um, in both, both the demon and the angelic, on the right shoulder are holding hearts in their hands as a representation of myself and who I am and how I feel and what I believe and how to take both aspects from a different perspective how both one can be both glorious and corrupt how something can be light and dark how something can be magnificent and decadent at the same time and be both nothing is one thing or another there's always shades of gray also i have tattoos on my lower legs both of them are pieces from leonardo da vinci on the left leg is his study of the human heart complete with latin inscription it's a piece of science it's intellectual it's rational and it's very very knowledgeable it's all about intellect on the right side is one of the last works he did before he died it's his studies of the grotesque most of Leonardo's works were about perfection. It's about the way things work. It's uh, flawless. It's a controlled environment. His studies on the grotesque were about asymmetry. Things that didn't fit right together. People with warts or bone deficiencies. It's scars. Balding. Nobody's perfect. 
everything has something different with it. Everything has something off. And these imperfections is what make us good. It, what's, it's what makes us beautiful, what makes us unique. A very, also an intellectual pursuit, but more chaotic, more intuitive, more irrational. Has less to do with reason, more to do with emotion, more to do with feeling. And again, it's just another constant reminder. Each thing has different perspectives to it. You can't have one without the other. To pursue one and deny the other would be to deny everything that involves it. And would deny the cause of anything that involves one or the other. So they're reminders to myself to keep me sane. If anybody would be willing to permit me to consider myself sane. I've been questioned on occasion. <laughs> so, uh... Way more fascinating than the last podcast, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Way more uh, in, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, we were kind of fumbling about a little bit. No uh, breaking it in, yeah. Part of that because we haven't seen each other in years. and Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, so. Yeah, just we kind of blew our load before we even did the podcast by talking at dinner. So we just kind of ran out of stuff, but, um, yeah. So I just wanted you to share that with those thoughts with everyone. Uh, I believe online. this all started with being able to see the merit in any person. Yeah. Well, yeah, I see that. Being first. able to see any aspect of a person, being able to consider viewpoints other than your own, you can see merit in someone you normally wouldn't be able to. And the trick is, if you can't understand something, don't look at it as yourself. Try to look at it as them. See where they're coming from. I, I was in Afghanistan for a while. I saw combat. Not once did I ever blame anybody shooting at me. They were doing what they thought was right. They were fighting a superior force, better trained, better equipped, and still they fought. I can respect that. These people were fighting for what they believed in, just like I was. How can I hate that? Um, didn't stop me from shooting back. <laughs> I mean, these—I mean, if someone tries to kill you, you better fight back. That's what they gave us guns for. But I still respected them. They may have radically different ideas of right of what was right about the situation, what was wrong about it. But in the end, we both came to the same conclusion. We were both there for the same reason. In a way, I know exactly what they were going through and in some ways I literally have to look at my position from the other angle in order to understand them I have to think of myself as something other than what I am I have to consider myself while pretending I'm something I'm not pretending I have different worldviews and different ideals and different thoughts and different aspects you look at another person and you consider the world it's some people say walk a mile in their shoes and that's not that's not nearly accurate you need to look at the world through their eyes you have to think of the world with their thoughts and if you can do that you can understand anybody you can see a merit in anybody and you can see a darkness in anybody and if you can do that you can also work with anyone you can understand why anyone does the things they do and it's the one thing that allowed help me to help me forgive and forget and get over it's a worthwhile experience and if you can do it god bless you do it any chance you get do you think we'll ever get to the point um as a species where we just solve conflicts by like playing a game like say uh no <laughs> no bloody game yeah a bloody game might be possible I mean, uh, if you look at the Colosseum in Rome there are plenty of bloody games handled there that took care of a lot of social problems Doug's roommate Caitlin just came to the room so you probably didn't hear but she uh <laughs> can it be bloody yeah she asked if the game could be bloody <laughs> so no just wondering you know maybe the uh two world leaders play a game of Cena and it's like oh well I lost so you get half my country I doubt it no yeah I don't think that'll happen either that would be... I would actually watch that if they wore inflatable sumo suits and went after each other like that. I'd watch it. I'd put it on pay-per-view. And That'd be hilarious. That'd be hysterical. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier than seeing Al Gore going at Schwarzkopf with a great big sumo suit in it with a, a hoagie in one hand. And, uh, <laughs> I'd sell tickets. That's, that'd be awesome. <laughs> put it on pay-per-view. 
when I worked for PT, we did that with chocolate pudding as well. You did what with chocolate pudding? Inflatable it's sumo a... suits with chocolate pudding fights. Like, you, you get covered in the, the chocolate pudding, then you attack each other in the sumo suits. I don't... Do you know what PT's is? I think it's a gentleman's club? It's a titty bar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd call them gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call... I don't blame you. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't know if the microphone is picking up what she's saying as it's a thing. Not, so you, it's barely flickering. Yeah. Can you explain, or do you want me to? Oh, we can go back and cut it out. I. I but it's just... so entertaining, because here I am repeating chocolate-covered sumo suit, PT's <laughs> Gentleman's Club, <laughs> it's, it's a... and no one knows what it's in reference to. <laughs> it's, uh... I just sound crazy. It's totally up to her. You yeah. want to participate? I said. Yeah, she can join in if she wants. Yeah. You think can I, I don't? Make a burrito first? You think I don't mm. sound crazy? Did you, <laughs> did you hear Doug's explanation of his tattoos just now? I have to eat something. I went to play racquetball with Bill. That's cool. In the meantime, actually, um, the whole point of this podcast was to do the uh, was to bring um, role playing to the masses, which will not happen, but we're gonna yeah. try. Because um, I don't really... Basically, come down to explaining role-playing and the purpose of it was... I mean, a lot of people consider role-playing is just the guy creates a fictitious about... scenario and puts people through it. That's storytelling. It's not role-playing. And we're talking about like the the storytelling role-playing, not the what might be considered in relation to the PT's comment, role-playing. <laughs> uh... Which may or may not be explained considering the... Uh... The blessing of the other occupant of the room. Yeah, she's trying to make a burrito. But, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll try not to get sidetracked. Okay, I, I am not familiar with um, traditional role-playing, but Doug is, and he's going to try and teach me. Which is going to take substantially longer than what it would be on this podcast, but I will summarize we for have the sake to, of We all. have had two-hour podcasts before. The file size is huge, but, um, but try and... Trying to create a crash course. The smallest role-playing book I own is still 150 pages. Well, uh, the and podcast, you you're going to write your own book, basically, uh, with your mouth. It's mostly the one thing you need to know, and it doesn't come in any book, it's just to understand what a role-playing game is. And uh, interestingly enough, our conversation of role-playing is what brought up the conversation of my tattoos. Right. Um, a storyteller will tell a story and by allowing his listeners to participate in it, like presenting a moral quandary or presenting a, a dilemma of some kind and asking what they would do to solve it. That's storytelling. If I present you with a moral quandary of you find that a good trusted friend is risking your job by stealing, you work with him and he's stealing from the, from the store and you're stuck with the position of what do you do about it. That's storytelling. If you put someone in that position, you want to know what they do with it. In a role-playing game, think of the same thing. Now imagine you're someone completely different. Put yourself in a science fiction setting. You're a military guy. You're a, you're a veteran of space warfare. And one of your guys is stealing secrets and selling it to the enemy. He's a close, good friend. And you believe in a lot of the reasons he's doing it. But you've sold your oath to a military force. You believe in your cause, and he's betrayed it. Now what do you do? Same situation. This time, you're a politician, and you directly represent the force that he betrayed. Now what do you do? Imagine yourself as an alien that this that you've been getting that's been getting the information from this guy and you find out he's a double agent he's been selling you bad secrets and tricking you the whole time now what do you do it's about putting yourself in a position that isn't you it's making yourself into someone completely different simply for the sake of the storytelling it's considering a problem from a position or an option that you wouldn't have considered because you're not this person but for that moment you're something else something more and something different and you consider things differently because you're this other person a thief in a dark alley is going to solve all problems a lot more different than a noble with a rapier in the street a knight in shining armor is going to solve problems a lot more differently than a wizard with spells 
a space marine in power armor and a machine gun is going to solve problems a lot more differently than a pilot in a jet plane with laser-guided bomb. So do we have to... Uh... That's all technical stuff, but a lot of the problems also come with oh, you change the way you think. Change these people's beliefs. You pick up beliefs that don't belong to you, but instead you try to do it with your character just to see if you can pull it off. I've seen some good moral... I know a guy named Sam. He's a cop. He's probably he's a very good cop. He's good at his job, and he's very loyal to his career. I've seen him play evil bastards that will break the law at the drop of the hat simply for the sake of the role-playing game because it's new and interesting. I've seen him do torture, evil, horror. He'll blow up a town. He'll poison a water supply. And when the game's done, he'll tuck his kids in at night. He'll put on his uniform, and he's probably one of the best damn cops I've ever seen. I trust him with my life. Because there's a difference. You role play and you live. And that's what role playing is. It's putting yourself in a different position. It's making yourself someone different. For the sake of experiencing life as something different. And then we hit LARP and everything goes sideways. And er oh yeah, everything goes sideways. <laughs> Do you want to scoot down so you can get on the mic? Caitlin's back with her burrito, but I think she wants to eat her burrito first. <laughs> it looks like and a good burrito. <laughs> that's smothered, right? Yeah, spicy. Okay, so for do we create do we uh, create our characters first, or do we decide on the moral quandary first? Well, you're the dungeon master. As the dungeon master, it it comes down to each individual group. If you and I were going to play, and I'm up for almost anything, my first question is, what do you want to play? What kind of world would you like to play in? What kind of person would you like to be? Try to think of something unusual, something that you would like to give a try as, because it sounds interesting. Cool. Okay, so since I'm... Sci-fi, fantasy, real world, you can be vampires, or I'm not a awesome, wizard. so I gotta think of something that is awesome. <laughs> just kidding. Um... Yeah, it's... Just think of something interesting. The, be the best part about roleplay and the hardest part is trying to pick someone who's different from you. Someone who believes differently or would act differently. Okay, I'm gonna be a... Uh, a two-foot-tall, round alien with an oval snout and two antennas. All right. Actually, triangle snout, and I'm one of the last of my race. Okay. Do, well, do you know where I'm going with this now? Oh, I know exactly <laughs> where you're going with <laughs> this. Not very now, original, but... that can be... You can do a number of games like that. Probably classic third edition Dungeons & Dragons, because there's a number of set statistics that will allow you to create the creature you're thinking of and to play as it and keep it balanced with the game. Okay. I'd actually suggest a game called Pathfinder, which you can find online for free if you look for it. If and you ever pitch something, you have to improv a commercial on the show. I have to it. improv a commercial? Yeah. Like uh, when me and Ryan... Google Pathfinder. Work. It's in its beta test, and it is free at the moment. They're looking for people, people to try it out. Give it a shot. It's better than normal Dungeons & Dragons. It's basically the community's answer to their outrage at fourth being a drivelous pile of crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's, an un it's like an unspoken rule. Because like, uh, I had a Pepsi once, and we pitched it, and so we had to do a Pepsi commercial on the spot or something. So, Since you, yeah. All right. But anyway, yeah. Was that a we... good commercial? Uh, it wasn't funny, but <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It sold it. It was to the point. Been whoring with other cats, haven't Okay, so uh, you said Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is what That's we should what be I working start with. with. Okay. Now we're probably not going to do this today because even basic Dungeons and Dragons takes a good evening worth of dialogue and rolling and paperwork and fleshing out your character, what is his past and history. You've already done that, because I know exactly what character you're playing. <laughs> yeah, so. I already know the history, so it's easy to draw upon, but so well, technically but... if I hadn't, we would have to like get out paper and inscribe oh, all yeah. this out first before we even do any kind of story? Well, a lot of what with role-playing, if it was just storytelling, then it would get kind of old after a while, and if anything bad happened to you, to you, you can just directly accuse whoever is running the game and picking, singling you out. With role-playing games... It involves a lot of statistics. You have a statistic that represents your physical strength, another one that represents your manual dexterity, your intelligence, your 
natural charisma with people. And each of these statistics is represented on a die roll. With Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 and Pathfinder, it's a 20-sided dice. Like the six-sideds you see in uh, casinos, but these have 20 sides. A uh, statistic can be anything from 1 to 18. If you roll below your score, you win. Like, say, example, your small, round, triangle-snouted creature is stuck in a cave and needs to move a rock out of the way. So you have a score for your physical strength. You'd roll a 20-sided die, and if you rolled under that score, you move the rock aside. If you, roll, if you roll above it, you fail. If you roll so badly above it, or if you totally fail the roll completely, the rock rolls back and does damage to you. You get hurt, squishing your leg underneath the rolling boulder, and whoever you're trying to escape gets closer the whole time. And that's the function of the actual game. There's a chance element involved. With every die roll, you can win or lose. So that's when a lot of the role-playing comes in. If you can just win any combat that comes along, it's one thing. You could easily lose and get killed just as easy as anywhere else, just because chance is a bitter mistress. So there's actually really no way that we can really do this game on the podcast. Probably not. We, we can't <laughs> wing it at all? Uh, a lot of role-playing also involves a DM who's thought of an extensive storyline and considered... If I, I could tell a story, but if one of the characters in my story can do things that I can't predict, I have to be ready to change the tempo and direction of the story at a whim. Dang, because I was about to suggest, like, can't you just take a story you've already done and I'll just jump in? But knowing me, I'll just totally exaggerate. Yeah. Well, example, uh, one story I've done involves mercenaries going into a warehouse with intoxified haunted spirits inside. He did certain things in there that kept him alive. Brad here goes left when the original guy goes right. He runs into things that the original guy didn't see until later, and it changes the tempo of the game, and it changes the interpretation of the game. Not only that, but I'm a dinosaur with a laser gun. Is that a problem? <laughs> in that particular situation, doesn't really fit with the game. But you have to be ready to improvise with that, so... When you we have a DM that's running a game, you have to appreciate, and he's ready for it, and he does a good job, you have to appreciate the fact that he probably spent a very long time trying to think of exactly what was going to happen in spite of your actions, <laughs> and how your actions affected the outcome. It's, it's a lot of work. I've seen some DMs will spend an entire week, every last ounce of free time, devoted just to preparing for one four-hour session. Is there a limit to how big the group can be? Because for one guy to manage... That many details. Caitlin, how many people are playing in Scott's game right now? Eight. Eight people. Mordic Door is unmanageable. Right now, I am playing in a group with three people. So, do you know anyone who does like closer to twenty? I've heard of it. Dump. Where they build a terrain and run a campaign like. I've heard of it. Done. We'll have that. It's radically different games. You won't find a Dungeons & Dragons game like that. You won't find a Shadowrun game like that. But there are some games that have been specifically designed to cater to large groups of people. Very large. I've seen tabletop games with... In those large groups, they don't like split off maybe two Dungeon Masters? It's just one guy keeping track of everything? I've heard of that kind of thing done. It's extremely difficult. I imagine. Dungeon Masters have to be perfectly in sync with each other. And they have to have the free time during the week to prepare for the next <laughs> session to work together and to plan what was going on. Now, I had one Dungeon Master, and this was very interesting. He was running two different groups, two different games. And when one group affected the world in one way, the other group would feel it. If they did something like in one session, the his one group managed to stop a evil lord from taking over the kingdom of their king and they fought off the evil lord and banished his demon minions back to the abyss and and overthrew him as a result in his other game in the kingdom nearby suffered a huge fallout in their economy because a lot of their because their personal monarch had backed this evil lord and now there was a giant political struggle as people were trying to steal his power thinking him weak the actions of one group affected the, the outcome and the reactions of another group. 
So when they stabilized their region, they put another duke in charge that was all about conquest and expansion. Instantly sparks a war that the first group gets involved in. It was very interesting. I really respect what it took in order to organize something like that. But it's very difficult to find a group that can do something like that. And it wasn't until halfway through the game that either group knew about the other one. And knew <laughs> that that's what was going on. Wow. So. You can... Role-playing games, it's literally limited by your imagination. The beginning of every role-playing book I've ever read, one of the first things they say is, if you don't like it, don't use it or change it. Game exists to help you expand the possibilities in your imagination, not limit it. Every game I've ever played, I've used my own world to describe it. They give examples of worlds in every game. I use my own. I try to do with the power of my own imagination. That sounds way more interesting than, to me than reading what someone else wrote. It's a lot of work. The only problem is I think of, I can think of so many just like... I know a guy who's been writing up his own role-playing world for over 17 years. And he's less than half done. Wow. Less than. And he puts regular work into it every week. Has he ever... Uh related to uh like if he's afraid that he can't finish it like should something happen to him like it's for him it's for his use if anybody ever plays with him they experience this world firsthand if something were to happen to him i still have perfect memories of his world of his kingdom of the people i met there and the way people believed of the strange things that are unique to his play style that i don't see anywhere else even if I never play with him again, I will still have the experiences I had with him. And I will have experienced his world firsthand, as though I was there. Though, admittedly, in that case, I was a shadow-bound elf who'd been trapped in a dimensional portal for several thousand years and driven slowly insane. But I still experienced his world. And I experienced madness and loneliness as a elf, last elven member of my kind. Take the experience what you can get. It's very interesting. Yeah, I was just curious because, like, I always feel like I need to get the ball rolling on getting the Nebulous Galaxy finalized because I could kick the bucket randomly and then it would be lost forever. Yeah, but... There are lots of people who you shared the idea and concept of it with. Right. So I you guys remember. might know, most, but you don't have a complete idea of it. So mm -hmm. Yeah. The more you share about it, the more I you know about it, and the more it goes on. You only really have to share it with one person before you make give it a chance for immortality, and all that person has to do is share it with one person. I guess Star Trek fans have done pretty well since Gene Ronberry. Exactly. They managed to get on. although up until now it kind of started to slide and then oh there has always been a monstrous fan base for star trek star wars Battle battlestar galactica i think it's a miracle battlestar galactica got back in the air instantly it took off as all the old fans got out their old gear and got right back into the system hmm. If all they would have to do is resurrect any series that you can think of, and any fan of that series would instantly jump right back on. Because they love the series, because they love the characters, they love seeing with them and suffering with them. Seeing them solve their problems, seeing them hurt, fall in love, fall out of love. This is why we watch these shows. Their experiences, we experience life that we don't have, and opportunities and chances we don't get through these people role-playing provides you an opportunity to interact with it as your own you're yourself and you can play some of these people you are these people and you can experience it as your own in a role-playing game if your game master is good enough if your storyteller can tell the story right some of these experiences are very rewarding Caitlin's done with her burrito. Uh, done with her burrito. Do you, do you want to jump in? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, or you can use no, my I'm mic. Yeah. Okay. That would probably work better than radio. Since I'm a girl, I have a girly voice. <laughs> it's okay. It's not high quality recording. So. Sorry. When I sat on Doug's hand. It's all right. So everyone, this is Caitlin, Doug's roommate. Hi. <laughs> um, 
tell us about yourself, Caitlin. Let everyone... Well, actually, there's probably no one listening, but... Well, uh... I'd hope it's not live. Oh, it's, it's not. not. We're no. recording. That, that's good. And he's going to go back and cut stuff out. Like yeah. the part about chocolate covered inflatable sumo strippers? Probably that's going to go away. <laughs> oh, or maybe not. <laughs> You're keeping that? It's hilarious. <laughs> Trust me, a lot worse well, things have been It was hilarious been, so... to watch, but cleaning it up later, <laughs> that, that was harder. Because they, they tried to undo the sumo wrestling pin, but it was all full of chocolate pudding in the bottom, and it had gotten all liquidy from having people rolling around in it. And it kind of went slosh. <laughs> and it was carpeted. How long did it take to... Oh, they had to have it professionally cleaned. So a whole other day <laughs> to fix. Yes. They had to have somebody come in with an extractor and suck all the chocolate pudding out of the carpet. Did they just toss it, or, you know... Seems like that much chocolate pudding might have benefited a homeless shelter. I don't know. Uh, not with all the things that are on the floor of a strip <laughs> yeah, club added in. Really I don't know. I just try not to waste stuff, so. I think they probably would have needed one of those giant red biohazard bags to put what they sucked out of the carpet in. <laughs> There's no refinery. They pump it through, like, a filter, like, get all the good chocolate out. Turn it back into pure sex mixed with chocolate. <laughs> My chocolate tastes like ass. Does yours taste like ass? I don't. It does. Maybe that's like, the point. It tastes like hair. Oh. <laughs> Ew. Well, I live here. We have cats. They're insane. They're they have two deranged. cats, Oscar and Tribble. Mister Tibbles. Mister Tibbles. Mister Tibbles. I thought it was Tribble. His name is Tribbles, as in the trouble with Tribbles. Speaking right. of Star Trek. But. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Our, first thing I said. My right? little goddaughter used to call him Mr. Tibbles. And it stuck. She was Mr. Tibbles' cat. Come play with me. It's like the name that... In uh, spite of how much that little girl tortured that poor cat, he would come running. Every time. time. He was so patient with that little girl. Oh, she would God. hold him by his hind legs, stick him in a box, and poke him with a stick. And he would still come when she called. <laughs> and and jump no in sense. the box. And like... Jump like she played on the box. He'd walk in the box. She'd turn it back over and then poke him again. And just happy as a clam, little cat sitting in the box. We're playing. We're playing the poke me with a stick game. <laughs> it's so fun. Sorry, I, yeah, your mic has probably. I, I was watching the waveform while you're saying that, and I noticed we're far away. Like it was getting smaller. <laughs> but yeah, cat's glutton for punishment. Yeah. Oh, they sick. are. Well, especially that one. He's kind of an idiot. We love him, but he's an idiot. Still an idiot. The only cat to ever survive eating a jumbo-sized bag of Jet Puff marshmallows. What? That wasn't my fault. I swear. He got into it a cabinet and he ate an entire bag of Jet Puff marshmallows. That bag's got to be bigger than that cat. They expand. He certainly they tried. Wet. He was so sick. There was things that shouldn't come out of both ends coming out. <laughs> Ew. And then five hundred dollars at the veterinarian later. <laughs> He'll literally eat anything. I've, I've seen him try to eat literally anything. Things that aren't edible normally. Like a tack. He'll, like a tack. He tried to eat a tack one day. And then when, when it stuck in his tongue, he, he grabbed about a little bit, got the tack out, walked around a little bit, looked down and says, Hey, attack!" And tried eating it again. <laughs> he's, he's, he's our favorite little idiot. He is my favorite cat. Oh, I'm just kicking me. That's a super. That's. Asuka's kicking me. Asuka. I was wondering, uh, because it's named after Asuka from Neon Genesis, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've been like her name on the sh- like I've heard it is Asuka. Is it just acceptable both ways? Yeah. Uh, it's it's. You can call her Asuka. You can call her Asuka. Yeah. As long as it sounds like. I believe like... little shit is especially popular <laughs> nowadays. Hey, there you Suka. are. She brought you the milk ring. Oh, she brought you the milk ring. She wants you to throw the milk ring. For she'll what? she'll oh. go retrieve it and she'll bring it back. You'll have to throw it like oh, two times. <laughs> yeah, let less with the letting you get clawed. Yeah, my cat had uh, vicious claws, and I'm so, I'm used to it. Good girl. I trim these guys. I just haven't done it in a while. Clip the pointy end off. I can never get my cats to clawed unless it was professionally. They uh, didn't like it. I would never declaw these two. I just would prefer not to get a giant right. gouge put in my leg every time they want to get on my lap in the computer chair. <laughs> when I was uh, in uh, like little, when I would uh, have to get up for school, I'd always be woken up by my cat pawing at my face with her claws. Mm-hmm. And that's just an easy way to... <laughs> Get up on time. I just feel this. 
cut into my like eye socket and just oh it's time to get up thanks for thanks for walking on me and then poking me in the face i'm up are they uh are they like uh indoor cats or outdoor cats they're indoor cats except for when the idiot falls off the balcony and then panics when he discovers he can't get back in (laughs) so they're not fans of outside at all no, there are lots of fans outside, right up until they can't remember how to get back inside. <laughs> then they panic. A lot. That and I think Asuka would bring things that were halfway dead and put them next oh. to me while I was sleeping. While it went through its little death throes. Yeah. She's quite a hunter when she wants know. to be. The bringer of gifts. One of the people I lived with in Bellingham, she had a cat, and she lived down by the wharf. And he got a wharf rat one night, and beat it up, but didn't kill it, and brought it back, and crawled up into her bunk. Here. And it was in shock, so it wasn't moving. She sort of woke up a little and went to push it off, and it started to struggle and bleed. And then she had the charming task of chasing it all around her little studio apartment in the middle of the night and then it got lodged into her big pile of scuba gear because she was a diver and she couldn't get it out because it had gotten inside her wetsuit. You? Yeah. She ended up beating the wetsuit with a bat. Ooh. <laughs> and then rinsing it out. Gross. <laughs> but they're kitties. They love us. They want to give us presents. They want you to play with it the same way they did, because it was so much fun. How could you not want to do that? My cat just left the guts right on the porch. Just, I don't know what parts, but there's little blobs. Oh, it's only appropriate to share with No full body. Tasty little bits. Now, my dad's cat, Bottle Rocket, would do something similar. The thing is, he wouldn't beat him up. He'd get the fastest thing he can find, and without injuring it even in the slightest way... Bring it back into the house, make sure my dad sees it before he lets it go, and then lets it go and lets it run away. And then he looks at my dad, and then he looks at the raccoon, or the raccoon, looks at the squirrel or chipmunk that he'd grabbed, and he looks at my dad as though to say, well, my catch time is 5 minutes and 47 seconds, let's see how fast you can catch that fast little bastard. <laughs> which, which proceeds into an entire evening of my dad chasing small rodents through the house. Uh, you haven't told me about your dad since I contacted He's, you. I haven't heard I any stories the, about him. The only difference between when last you heard him and now is he's now retired and working full-time in his wood shop. That's about it. What's you know? he carving? Uh, anything you can think of. I think he Furniture, made a harp recently, toys. and before that it was a giant... A harp? Like, yeah, he made his own harp. Strung and everything? He is like... Oh, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of woodworking machinery in his basement. Suka, leave him alone. <laughs> Throw the milk ring, human boy. I threw it over there. He, she, she brought it back. She brought it back. But he has a lot of work working machinery <laughs> down there, and he builds stuff for the sake of the curiosity of what it takes to build it. He's built the he built all of the furniture in his kitchen, the cabinets. The uh, the only thing that he didn't build in there was the appliances and the counter, which he had professionally cut. Uh, everything. I think he did his own electrical work too. I mean, tables, chairs, cabinets, <laughs> mirrors, you name it. I put it over there. Yeah, so, she wants no, you to keep get talking. Up I'm here. gonna go get it. She wants oh. you to pick it up. It's a very common she trick with her. She you. Oh, now, now that you've done it, she <laughs> wants to trick you. <laughs> She's tricky. You gotta look out for her. <laughs> okay. Sorry trying to add their cats get away from the podcast but not that it's <laughs> well that's what he does he's retired and he has a good time he plays on his computer sometimes goes to museums and he goes antique shopping he collects salt and pepper shakers i'm sorry no he collects pepper tins the stuff the pepper comes in before you put it in the pepper shaker antique pepper tins any kind doesn't matter it just has to be old he's about 500 of them 500. Different kinds from different companies. Some of them in different languages from different countries. He figured his wife drags him to these antique stores all the time. He might as well collect something while he's there. So he decided pepper tins, because one, they're always cheap. 
Two, there always happens to be three or four of them there, and he never could figure out why. And three, it gives him something to do. Go get it. So that's what my dad's doing. Cool. My mother's still working herself into a coma. Yeah, you're telling me. But she's moving up, so... Yeah, sort of, a little bit. She's not entirely sure. Her... All the positions around her have been removed, and it's just kind of her in limbo trying to act like she's still useful. Which she is, but... Who sees it? <laughs> so... Did you have a string? I had a string. Caitlin. I thought maybe he was pulling one of those tag thingies off of his nipple. Tag thingies off of what? I certainly hope you I know don't have a tag thingy on my nipple. Rotating the cow goes moo toys that you might have had as a child. Yeah, with a string, a yeah but if you twist my nipple, I'm not going to make a moo <laughs> sound. <laughs> what, what noise will you make if I twist your nipple? Uh, I'd rather not find out, to be absolutely be honest moo. with you. No, it won't be moo. <laughs> I don't want anybody twisting my nipple to find out what kind of sound I'm going to make. She won't leave you alone. Yeah. If you, you threw it. You the gave ring is the mouse there. a cookie. And now the world's <laughs> gonna end. And that's why we had to kill daddy. Uh, what? <laughs> Throw my chicken. Sucker. Yeah, take it away. Don't give it I tricked her. I, I threw my hand in one direction and then took the... Milk ring. Yeah, it isn't full Suka nearly as well, but if you did it to Tribble, he'll be confused for hours. Do you like my funky furniture? It's uh, so orange. Doug was actually telling me the uh, origin story of the footage. Er, it comes from this uh, lady furniture. who had it for years and she years had. and yes. never used it. It lived under plastic. It was parlor furniture. And then you stained the wood orange to match? Yes. Yes. And then the coffee table was orange as well. And the Wait. walls are green. This was orange? No, it was uh. espresso, like the other pieces of furniture in here. Yeah, like the darkness. And it was here. advertised it being solid wood, which we discovered was a lie. A flat, evil lie. Hello? Yeah, we I the damn thing. put it in a drawer. Let's be clever. Yeah. Let's put it in a drawer with a cat. Is it going to make her cry? No, she'll be fine. Okay. Why don't you see? Do you something you want to say? Maybe. Do you want attention? Yes. You threw the milk ring. It's gone now. You, you have you status gotta find something now. else to do. Everyone listening at home probably has is so clueless as to what is transpiring. If you have a cat, you totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, if you have a dog, you might understand because these cats act a lot like dogs sometimes. The throw it human, throw it so I can go get it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, Caitlin, any interesting stories about life you want to entertain people with? Well, we've been I already talking got so much. out the pudding. Right, we got the pudding. We had pudding. There's my cat. We could always gross poor Doug out with that horrible story about cheese I told him the other day. Oh, I don't want to hear about the cheese. Douglas loves cheese. A lot. And he also hates maggots. A lot. If it has more than four legs, it's the devil. It needs to go away. I can I can be very rational about people. That's people. These are bugs. Maggots are just another form of bugs without legs. Apparently there's some black market cheese made in Sardinia that comes with maggots. It's part of the flavor, apparently. I think the texture is more what it's a part of since they're still alive when you eat it. This is a delicacy to some people, I guess. Yes. 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 The same way that fermented mare's milk is a delicacy, if you ever have that. And where did this come from? Sardinia. Sardinia. Right, but how did it get here? I can... It doesn't. It doesn't, because it's on the black market. If you really, really need a big wheel of maggot cheese... You need to go to Sardinia, go to the black market, and then buy a wheel It, it grossed cheese. them out so much, they banned it. <laughs> Now, you see, I, I, I can live with the idea of eating a lot of different kind of bugs. Maggots have a special place in my heart. You know, one that I crush with a giant anvil make my acne. <laughs> so, like, eating a spider, I can live with the idea of eating a spider. Mm -hmm. Why eating, would eating... you eat a spider, Doug? I hear African trees 
bird spiders are very, very tasty when prepared correctly. But why would you eat it? Well, I probably wouldn't unless I was stranded in the jungle of Africa. In the army where you trained to eat No, exotic? I heard this story from a Navy SEAL I talked to for a little while. Uh. They were trained to eat anything that didn't get away. Yeah. That didn't cost the government further money. <laughs> Actually, he made some friends and they shared it with him, along with this interesting form of tree grub that tasted very sweet and live cobra. I've this... had mostly a live shrimp before. Mostly a live shrimp? Mm -hmm. They so bring like him to the it? table. No, they bring him to the table and they're alive and they shake their little bowl and the shrimp like shoot around like, oh my god, we're gonna die! And then they take him back to the sushi bar and they chop off their head and they rip off the shell really fast and they butterfly it and put it on the rice and they bring it back to the table and it takes less than a minute and the little shrimp body is still like wiggling and twitching on top of your rice. That's like, how you know sweet. it's really fresh. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. There's no... Icky, I've been hanging out in a bin for three days, ammonia, sushi flavor. It's a really clean flavor if you don't mind the twitching. <laughs> wow, that actually does sound pretty good. Yeah. You feel it twitching as it goes down? Yes, you do. Ooh. Even down actually, to the bottom? Actually, there's a delicacy in Asia eating live octopus. Oh, yeah. In octopus Asia, they eat babies. everything. The problem is there's been some deaths concerned because sometimes those octopus gets to that split in the neck and they grab on for dear life. Oh. <laughs> My friend Lisa is living in Korea right now teaching English and she, she said they had gone to a sushi bar on the coast somewhere and served in a very similar fashion. They bring the baby octopus to the table in a bowl, poke it to tell you that it is still alive and fresh, take it back, chop off its head, butterfly it, put it on some rice and bring it back. And she said that the octopus was delicious that way but the only problem is that the suckers grab onto the inside of your mouth and make it hard to swallow. <laughs> Uh, but still, the freshest tasting seafood. Can you just imagine a bunch of su suction cups just sticking to like... The inside of your mouth, yeah. Like tonsil area? I can. I'd rather not have, but and I suppose can definitely it, imagine it. <laughs> suppose it gets like really rascally and then like climbs up to that hole at the top of your mouth? It to comes your, out your nose. nose? Yeah. Yeah, like this is called... Who am I, Davy Jones from the original... Uh-huh. What am I, Davy Jones from the... The monkeys? No, the, um... <laughs> the Dead Man's the Chest. The yeah. pirate movie. Sorry. I'm all about, you know, tentacles coming out of my nose and everything. You know, it's one of those fun experiences. I, I already know that you're all about tentacles, Doug. Oh, do you now? I'm so lost. 